Welcome to My Friends in the North with PR and management consultant Sarah Waddington as she interviews some of the leading lights in the north of England about their work, the economy, communications and what makes them tick. Well, hello and welcome to My Friends in the North. And today I'm delighted to welcome to the show Eileen Jones from Cumbria PR, who has just published a really wonderful paperback called How Park Run Changed Our Lives. Thanks for making the time to chat to me, Eileen. Nice to see you, Sarah. Right, let's get started then. Um, It's funny because when I started My Friends in the North, I decided to look for guests that were kind of outside my usual sphere of expertise. So I I thought, try not to bring on PR marketing types. But I have to make an exception today because of a wonderful PR project you've been leading. Can you tell us what it is about Parkrun that inspired you to write about it? You know, how did your book come about? Well, I'm I'm a natural storyteller. And I've been to park runs all over the place and I would come back to my home one and tell the stories, you know, the people I'd met and what the course was like and what the journeys were like and the funny things that happened. And my friends would say, you should write all this down, you should write a book. And I'd say, no, I haven't got time. I write for a living, I haven't got time. And then a year ago, everything stopped. All my clients are in tourism and hospitality. They all shut down and I was sitting here whinging and moaning to anybody who'd listen oh what am I going to do um and it was a couple of months a good few months actually before I thought hmm I could actually write those stories down and I started off with the notion of part run being a new religion because I am a bit evangelistic about it myself and once I got that idea in my head and wrote the first sentence it almost wrote itself Sarah it was just so easy to do because everybody wanted to come on board and tell their story so it was a joy. I love that. It's like when you're writing blog posts. I My best ones are always where I tend to go out with the dog, could be even running with the dog, and I, and I have a certain topic brewing. And I actually type as I'm running, and it just spills yeah. out. And everybody, they're the ones that always get the most hits. Isn't it funny how that yeah. happens when you really, it's inside and it has to come out. Has to come out. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, that's amazing. So your book launch, because the way you launched it is really quite unique and it's it's really super. <laughs> you saw 104 relay runners carry your book via a park run all the way from the Lake District, which is where you're based, to yeah. London until the book was handed to the original founder in Bushy Park. So you kicked yeah. off the run. Where did that idea come from? <laughs> um, well, a book launch normally happens in a bookshop. You know, you have a signing The author gives a bit of a speech, a few people have a glass of wine, but no, bookshops are open. And then I thought maybe park runs would be up and running again by the time the book came out so that I would have a launch at a park run. And I had thought about going to Bushy because that's where it all began. But park runs aren't starting until June. So I'd still got this idea about going to Bushy, take the book to Bushy. How do we get it there? Well, we're runners. And it just grew from there. And again, I got this idea in my head and I knew it was going to happen. I was determined. I had no idea who was going to be on board to help. I ended up with these incredible people, only one of whom I'd met before in my life. And I brought on board six other regional organisers. So I I organised it as far as Lancaster and then they took on the organising further down the country. And it just happened. It was amazing. The power the collaboration, the cooperation that Parkrun fosters. And everybody wanted to be part of something bigger than themselves again. They'd been so missing it and missing being part of their community. 
And I had hundreds of people who wanted to be part of it, but we had to choose people who live near the route because of the COVID restrictions in place. So only people who live near the route, only two people at a time on a leg, um, nobody running through the nighttime, obviously. And we were very careful about handing, the book was carried in a backpack and we were very careful about handing that on from one person to the next. Um, but it just happened. And when we got to Bushy Park last Thursday, it was just magic. The, the atmosphere was amazing. We, again, we couldn't really have a big crowd turnout to watch, which was a great pity. Um, but there were a few people there, a couple of friends of mine who live nearby and the founder and his wife and a photographer and the last two runners. And it was lovely being among people because we hadn't been among people for a long, long time. And Paul, who founded it, just looked round at one point and said, there are 13 of us here. That was the number that ran the very first park run, the time trial in Bushy Park back in no. 2000. Wow. And it was that one of those spine chilling moments, you know, whoa, this is incredible. It's amazing. And he must have been thrilled. Yeah, yeah, he was absolutely built to bits. Yeah, you know, and he he'd been very supportive all the way along because although he's no longer um he, he doesn't actually work for the organization, he's still a trustee of the organization, but he's you know um has taken a step back. Very wise man, actually. He said at one point that the problem with big organizations that fail is because the people who found them don't know when to let go and when to hand it on to somebody else, you know. Um, but he's been really supportive. You know, he wrote a foreword for the book and he was interviewed for one of the chapters. And um, he, he is um, a very charismatic person and all the people involved really respect him. And um, so it, it was fabulous. You know, it was just a wonderful experience, especially at the time. You know, we've had nobody's had any fun for a year and we had fun for a whole week. We had loads of fun. It sounds marvellous. And obviously it's created quite a special legacy. What do you think is about Parkrun that resonates so much with people? Why, why do you think people were so quick to get involved? I guess you've part answered it because we've been missing that fun and that sense of community. But what it is, what, I mean, Parkrun is massive here where I'm based in the northeast. You know, what is it about it? Yeah, it, it's more than just about the running. It's more than putting one foot in front of the other, which most races are about. It's about inclusivity. It's about this ethos of everybody being welcome. You can walk it, you can jog it. You have fast people out at the front using it for speed training. You have people walking at the back. Two of my lovely friends at our home one, um, they're 85 now. And a couple of years ago, they celebrated their diamond wedding anniversary by running it together and cross the line hand in hand. And so this sense of community builds up. Everybody is welcome, but everybody is waited for. There's somebody called a tail walker that goes around so that nobody's actually lost. And the marshals at the finish never put a single flag away or any of the finish funnel until the very last person is in. I mean, I've done, I've done fell races where I've been so far at the back. When I got to the finish, there's a man sitting there with a timer and in the middle of an empty field. That's <laughs> it, you know. But the park run, everybody waits. All the marshals wait. The crowds all wait till the very last person home. And the last person gets as big a cheer as the first. So I think it's the inclusivity and the fact that it's a community for often for people who are on their own and feel socially isolated or people with problems, people who, I mean, it's prescribed. Now, park run is actually prescribed by GPs. Um, rather than medication for a, a range of 
of um, ailments, you know, mental health problems, physical problems. It really doesn't surprise me. Yeah. It's a very, very special thing. It's much more than a, a run. It's very, very special community. Well, your project has really grown and grown and you've had UK-wide media interest. You've just told me you're going to be interviewed by Ed Miliband next. Wait and turn, yeah. Ed. Um, <laughs> you've got a dedicated Facebook page. There's been multiple WhatsApp groups. Yeah. How else has it sprouted legs and has it surprised you? Not, it hasn't surprised me entirely because I know that park runners, there are three and three million or so signed up in the UK alone. So there are people out there who are interested. Um, but I think the extent of it, um, we've had a lot of magazine coverage in the county magazines, a few back in January, but I've just been sent this morning, actually, uh, four pages from Yorkshire Life. Um, with a big spread about about the actual book and the stories in the book. Regional media, great. When we did the, we started the relay, one of our runners, she did, she just did a mile on leg two, I think it was, works for Border Television. So she was filming it with her cameraman, but she actually took part in it as well. And she loved it so much and felt that it was such an important event. She talked her bosses into four and a half minutes on the evening news program. Now, you know, Sarah, how almost impossible, almost impossible these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So four and a half minutes. Um, and we got a little slot on Border and Granada TV when we finished. What disappointed me was that it was hard to engage with the media at the other end. And that's a lesson I still need to learn that I don't have the contacts with the TV people in London I've got some PR contacts and newspaper contacts down there, but they didn't seem to take take it to heart in the way that I might have hoped. So that's a lesson that I need to learn about how to engage. You know, I'm not saying we were parochial because we actually have fantastic coverage in the Midlands. We had items on BBC Radio, and one wonderful thing happened um, at the end of I think it was the end of day five, beginning of day six. The overnight stopping place was at an independent bookshop in the centre of Warwick. And they decorated their, their window with all park room paraphernalia signs. And so they got the local paper down to take pictures. And that was great for them as well. Fascinating. Oh, um, we're now doing T-shirts. I've just sent the designs off to all the, all the 100 runners who took part. So the woman who designed the book cover is now designing a T-shirt, a limited edition, just for the people who did the, um, the run. What a lovely so that, gift for them. That's yeah, yeah. Um, what's I didn't... I never thought to ask, which is your favourite story in the book? My favourite story? Yeah. There are so many, but I do love Dave Williams, who is a blind runner. And he's a really good runner. And he runs with um, a guide runner. She's called Rebecca, his regular guide runner. And he said to me that Rebecca is dyspraxic. And sometimes she can't tell her left from her right. So he said, between us, we're a right pair. (laughs) He can't see where he's going. She doesn't know where she's going. Um, I think that's one of my favourites. That's lovely. Well, this is not the first time that you've initiated a really highly impactful marketing event. And I know that you say that success tends to come from projects that can develop a life of their own. What, what do you mean by that? Um, I think there's, there's a lot of luck and a lot of chance. But if you are prepared to let go of your planning document, don't be hidebound by that strategy and aims and objectives document. Just if the if the event itself seems to be meandering in a different direction, let it go. I was doing um, 
an event for a local museum here in the Lake District who was celebrating their centenary and they have a, a big Beatrix Potter connection. And I organized to restage the presenting of a Beatrix Potter scientific paper at the Linnaean Society in London. She wasn't, hadn't been allowed to do it herself originally because she was a woman, but this time we got a woman dressed up as Beatrix Potter. And it was just going to be a publicity stunt. But the, the director of the Linnaean at the time, who was the woman who was fabulous, one of these can-do people, let's do it. She said, well, you know, let's invite people and let's sell tickets and let's have a tea and let's bake a cake. And it turned into a scientific symposium with, there were dozens and dozens of eminent um, mycologists from all over the country turned up. And there were questions being rung in from across the, you know, from across the globe about this pioneering work that Beatrix Potter had done. So it became something else. And the Armit Museum got the benefit sort of by drip feed publicity. But it, it just became another event altogether, other than what we had set out to achieve. But just let it go. You know, if, if people want to take it on for you like that, let them let them help you. So is that what is that what you'd advise businesses? I mean, this podcast gets quite a wide listenership. You've got people who work on their own. You've got SMEs. You've got people who work for large companies. But I guess everybody would love a little bit of the marketing sparkle and success that you've you've achieved. Is is that the key in terms of not holding on to things too tightly and remembering that it's not specifically one thing? I know you've got a great example, uh, which you've written about, um, about the fact that you introduced a backgammon championship for a hotel client. I guess that would have been very easy to stick to very much hospitality type stories. Yeah. And this was actually yeah. a little bit more community led. Very much so. And um, in the Lake District, there are a lot of very lovely hotels and the Cedar Manor is one of the best. Um, and how do you make it stand out? How do you find a story that's, that sticks uh, in people's memories? And um, the guy who runs it with his wife, he used to work at um, one of the big nightclubs in Chelsea and played a lot of backgammon then. And we'd just been having a chat about what, how, what can we do? What, and I said, well, why not stage a backgammon tournament? And we did it once, but we got the backing of the Backgammon Federation. And people came from all over the country and they said, oh, this is great. And we offered a prize. They spent the whole of the Sunday. We, they just took over the, the dining room of the hotel um, and lots of them booked to stay in at the hotel. And then they said, well, we'll do it again next year. And so it's run for about six years. Obviously, we couldn't do it last time. And the spin-off from that was that the hotel also hosted a, a monthly local backgammon group. So local people or visitors who were in the area who wanted to play. Jonathan's idea is that we'd all be sitting out on pavements, you know, pavement cafes playing backgammon like they do in the Mediterranean. But you know, it just throws it down in the Lake District. So <laughs> maybe, maybe that. Had. But you know, that has it's it's become something of its own. Another, yeah, another great example. It's taken on life of its own, and I guess that's what you want. You want for it to be sustainable, where you can make that happen. Fantastic. You live in Ambleside. For those who might not know Cumbria, tell us about your local area and the wider county. I mean, it's a very beautiful area, isn't it? It is, it is. It's beautiful indeed. It's right in Ambleside, right in the heart of the Lake District in the Southern Lakes. We're about a mile north of uh, Windermere, the head of Windermere, which is the largest lake. And it's not just incredible scenery. It's a very vibrant community. And at the heart of our community is a cinema, well, five cinema screens, two restaurants, a cafe, a jazz bar and a wine bar and a vegetarian hotel, all run by the same family. 
Um, and it's the, the, the whole business is called Zeffirelli's. And it's been the hub for both residents and tourists for many, many years. So many people will be familiar with that name. I've they been to that cinema. Indeed, <laughs> they will absolutely know it. And of course, because they've been closed, they, they were able to open just for a short time um, late summer last year for the, um, I think they had two of the cinema screens open. But otherwise, the place has been like a ghost town because without Zeph's to go to, all the locals would congregate there and all the visitors would congregate there. So it's it's a beautiful place. It has had an atmosphere of its own because it's been so quiet. Um, like a lot of country places, you know, the, the wildlife has been coming into town. And those of us who live here, we've been very, very lucky. You know, we could run from our doorsteps onto the top of really high mountains. And it's sometimes I felt guilty because I know what it must be like if you're living in a city and you're stuck inside a, a flat or in a street with no gardens. And it almost seems unfair, but we have been incredibly blessed to be, to be locked down here, I have to say. I think um, every community has had its hardship, though. Um, and obviously, as you've mentioned, we're slowly coming out of lockdown now. What, what, thing do you th- what do you hope for for your local community and what are you looking forward to most? What I hope for is peace when the tourists come back. Um, we had a lot of problems last year, only a minority of visitors, but people who didn't respect the countryside code and who would camp on lake shores and build fires there and set fires to woodland and leave litter behind. And it started already. They were, they were here last weekend, even before the restrictions started to end, leaving camping equipment and human waste on the shores of lakes. And it's really sad that that attitude prevails because then it becomes, all tourists get um, labelled like that. And of course, it's only a minority. But it, it, it's really difficult because a lot of the people here make a living from tourism. So we have to have a healthy balance of respect for one another. So that would be my hope for the community is that um, there is mutual respect um, between the tourists and the residents. My own personal hope, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just counting down the days to the 5th of June when Park Run starts up again and, <laughs> and I can be there, you know, with my volunteer bib on. I'm not going to run the first one, I'm going to be there. In my, but my friend Sally is definitely going to run the first one because she was on 99 Park Runs just oh. bit by lockdown. So she's been waiting the whole year to do her 100. So I bet I'm she can't wait now, I bet she can't she's wait. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. I mean, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Um, But I'm going to ask you one last question. Outside of your own, which book are you reading or listening to? Because a lot of people now listen to them on something like Audible. Um, And how do you rate it? Is it worth picking up and having a look at? Yeah, I'm actually reading on Kindle um, a book in a a series of crime novels by an old journalism friend of mine. We were at journalism college together a long time ago. Um, she's called Leslie, but she writes as L.M. Cryer, that's K-R-I-E-R. And she, she's very eccentric. She lives in remote rural France now with her dogs. But she writes about a gay detective called Ted Darling based in Stockport near Manchester. And she writes with real veracity about the area. I mean, I know she must come over now and again, but she really captures the place. She captures really great characters. Her characterization is fantastic. And her plots are very, very up to date as well. Really good, light, light reading. 
obviously squirreling away in the French countryside is the way to do it. This is this Absolutely. is the secret. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Eileen, what a great interview. Thanks so much for your time and telling us all about your parkrun to mark your book about parkrun. Um, but if you're listening and you'd like to grab a copy, you can get this at uh, gritstonecoop.co.uk. And the book is called How Parkrun Changed Our Lives. Perfect gift for yourself if you love parkrun or if you know someone who does. And you can also keep up to date with the story and Eileen's news on Twitter if you follow her at Cumbria PR. So thanks for listening today. If you or anyone you know might make an interesting guest or have a fantastic story like Eileen, please do drop me a line and my email is sarah at astute.work. But in the meantime, stay safe. Please keep your masks on in public and I'll see you next time. you for listening to my friends in the north with sarah waddington you can find sarah on twitter at mrs underscore once or get involved with the podcast by emailing sarah at astute.work see you next time